You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 42. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey Sam, hey Sam! Hello everyone! Hello! How are things? How are things? Back in the podcasting world. Yay. Yeah, and I'm back to the UK. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm at my sister's place right now, so if you hear uh, screaming or um or groaning in the background, that's my nine month old nephew. <laughs> He's a cutie pie. Yeah. Do we have Hitch? We do. He's just roaming around <laughs> and trying to get into the bags. He loves yeah. checking out the territory. He lo- he loves big bags or small bags, just any bags. Anything interesting uh, that has happened in the, in the last week? Yes, there is one thing. I've booked uh, a new uh, guest for our upcoming Skeptics in the Pub, and she will talk about uh, uh, what do you call it, search dogs or sniffer dogs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Sniffer mm-hmm. dogs, yeah. And her her, her theory is that mm-hmm. they are not as good at finding things as we think. It's it's like uh, you know they do have a great sense of smell, but not as great as we give them credit for. So to some extent, it's like uh, using uh, uh, dowsing rods, and you 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 have your bias confirming that that they are finding things. Yeah, it's very good. I have never heard about it before. I'm looking forward to it. Wow. So, but it's a month from month from now, so uh, it's it's not happening until well, uh, well, four weeks. L- let now. us know how it goes. Yeah, I will. And we, we've held, uh, hosted our very first Skeptics in the Pub in Budapest. And uh, we've had these uh, gatherings for the hung- members of the Hungarian Skeptic Society for years. But uh, it wasn't open to the public. Now we opened it up to the public. And um, we had about uh, 18 or 19 people, half of which was absolutely stranger to all of us mm, that's a good start so yeah it's a good start and uh, we are very hopeful for this uh, to to take off very soon mm. so we agreed that it's it's going to be a monthly event hmm. good luck yeah <laughs> finally <laughs> and uh, talking about uh, skeptics in the pub uh, i just read on twitter that uh, la razionale alcoholica is now affiliated with skeptics in the pub so I do recommend every Skeptics in the Pub uh, organizer to do that, to contact the Skeptics in the Pub guys. And they can help you promote your event as well as uh, give you some advice or put you into groups and discussions groups where uh, things are being shared with one another. So you can learn from uh, what others are doing. That's, that's a good thing. Oh, there is one other thing. It also has um, some connection to Hungary, but it was actually featured on on the BBC. Do you remember when on episode 36 we interviewed Fiona O'Leary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, from uh, Autistic Rights Together. And uh, off the record, she told us about an upcoming BBC report that's the result of uh, a several months long investigation into a Hungarian guy who offers a treatment for autism. And it resembles very much Dianetics. Do you know what Dianetics is? Hmm. Scientology. It is Scientology. So there are elements, certain elements that you can recognize from Dianetics. 
the treatment itself is is absolutely pseudoscientific and uh, the the BBC report revealed that it's ac- actually a cruel one it's a very cruel treatment i'm going to i'm going to share the um, the um, the link on the show notes but on the next episode uh stay tuned for more because i'm going to explain this whole situation in detail what we did with the hungarian skeptic society is we contacted a few uh, media outlets and uh, they picked it up so now it's becoming a thing in Hungary. It's it's being talked about. It's in discussions on TV, in newspapers and stuff. So it's it's getting pretty pretty big, and people are furious, understandably, because this this man is crazy. Uh, actually, there are two of them. But I'm going to explain it on the next episode in detail. So stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. If there is nothing else, I think we should actually start the show with uh, talking about the upcoming events for the next week. On the 3rd of October, there will be a uh, an event in Glasgow, the Glasgow Skeptics Visit Café Scientifique. So they don't have their own event, but they're going to go and listen to a, a talk there in a cafe. And the talk is titled Scotland, the Fat Sick Man of Europe. That doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> For for obvious reasons, I, I guess, they, they love deep frying stuff, don't they? But still, Scotland. I love Scotland. It's beautiful. It is. And then there is um, another event on the same day, the 3rd of October in London, in Camden. And the title is Unreliable Memories with Professor Chris French, who we know. <laughs> yeah. On Tuesday, the 4th, uh, in Chichester, there is uh, a talk called How Violent Is Islam Really? with Jonathan Pierce. And uh, at the same time, in Edinburgh, there's a social skeptics in the pub. And in Nottingham, the tyranny of intelligence with John Skyfe. All right. And on the next day, Wednesday, the 5th of October, there is finally, (laughs) because this week is really packed with uh, UK events. But finally, we have one in Germany, in Leipzig, actually, Leipzig skeptics in the pub social. And then later on, we have three more um, that are in the UK. One of them is Greenwich. Uh, the title is Nevermind the Neurobollocks, an attempted navigation through all that neuro stuff that is thrown at us. And the speaker is Dr. Ashok Jansari. On the same day, Oxford Skeptics of the Pub uh, uh, with the title Grasping the Cosmos. And Alice Shepard uh, will be the speaker, who's a longtime space addict. addict and uh, co-founder of Cardiff and Hackney Skeptics in the Pub. And uh, High Wickham Skeptics will uh, host uh, Skeptics in the Pub social on the same day. That's Wednesday, the 5th of October. And then on Thursday, the the 6th, in Liverpool, there's a social Skeptics in the Pub. And as usual, they have a board meeting just before. And everybody's welcome. You don't have to be on the board to contribute with new ideas. Barnsley, they have something called Socialist Fun Times with Chris Coltrane. Teesside Skeptics in the Pub pub have uh, Sex, Love and Marketing by David Frank. And still on the same day, Thursday, and Tunbridge Wells, Mr. Green and Mr. Grey with Stephen Colgan. This is an event that's on tour that we've talked about before. On the next day, Friday the 7th, there will be Delft Skeptic Social. That's um, in Netherlands. Um, on the same day, 7th of October, there will be a Stoke Skeptics in a Pub with the psychology of ghosts and hauntings. And that's Professor Chris French again. 
It's a busy guy. Two, two events the same week. Wow. And on Saturday, the 8th of October, Madrid, Skeptics in the Pub, will host Victor Moa. And the talk will be about science, politics, and sex. I do recall one of the, the Spanish Skeptics in the Pub events hosting the same talk, or it's the similar talk, but uh, must be very interesting. And we finish the week uh, on the 9th of October, Sunday, uh, with Edinburgh Skeptics. Um, they're having a talk that's called Crime and Punishment, or Crime and Reform. Thanks very much, guys. All right. Pleasure. This is what we can expect next week. So, I think we should move on to our interview with a very interesting person and her absolutely intriguing story, ex-homeopath Natalie Grams from Germany. On every other episode, we interview a person representing an organization or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. Today, we have here with us Natalie Grams from Heidelberg in Germany, a medical doctor and a former practitioner of homeopathy. She's the author of a book titled Homeopathy Reconsidered that's about how she had to re-evaluate her position on homeopathy. She is also the founder and leader of the German organization Homeopathy Information Network, as well as a member of the German skeptical organization GWP. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Let me start with the usual request. Could you please say the title of your book and the name of Homeopathy Information Network in German? The title of the book is Homeopathie Neu Gedacht. And we call ourselves Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathie. It sounds so lovely. I'm pretty sure that we all recognize the word homeopathy in both the title and the name of the organization. Could you tell us how you came in contact with homeopathy in the first place? Well, I came into contact like many people do because I um, was feeling ill and I was consulting many different medical doctors, but they could not help me. And then I went um, to a homeopath um, and she talked for a long time to me and um, we had a good time together. And at the end of the talk, she gave me these globally, which um, how we call the, the homeopathic remedies. And I felt some kind of relief after this talk and I felt better in the time that followed and I thought that this um, feeling better and improvement of my symptoms was because I um, took those globally and I somehow did this um, thinking fault that many people do when they um, believe in homeopathy. And for me, this was, I was a medical doctor then, or I was at university studying medicine at, at that time. And for me, this was some kind of a completely new um, world of thinking, of treating patients, of um, medicine. And I was at first astonished by the things that happened after this talk. And I, well, saw the cause of all these happenings um, was homeopathy. So 
when you started to practice medicine, uh, what was it in homeopathy that you that appealed to you from from a doctor's point of view? When I was a medical doctor, when I um, finished university, I was working in a hospital for internal medicine, and I was feeling some kind of lack of humanity and time in dealing with my patients there. It was just, um, well, getting away the symptoms, getting patients out of the hospital again. And I was not happy with that kind of um, being a medical doctor. When I started um, university, I was full of hopes how I would spend time with my patients and how I would do them good. And I did not find that in hospital or in my um, daily work in hospital anymore. And in homeopath, in my um, homeopathic work, I was able to spend that time with my patient and I was able to focus on one patient for a longer time and with more special interest in this um, individual, um, individual um, person that was sitting in front of me. And that, that was um, why I was so attracted by, by this um, dealing with patients there. So you say that homeopaths can spend more time with each patient than regular doctors. Why is that and how does that work financially? In Germany, it does work very good because we have. Um, the, it's possible to to go to a homeopath and to send the invoice to your insurance. It's a Krankenkasse in, in in Germany. It's your health insurance, and, and the insurance does pay, or many insurances pay for the um, homeopathic consultation. Uh, and when I was a homeopathic doctor, I could spend up to one or two or even three hours um, with one patient. And I was, um, I got paid for this time good. Mm. It was easy to earn money this way. So it was more about the time you could spend with the patient than the actual medical uh, intervention that, that, that you could do with the homeopathic remedies as i understand it when i um, was really working and believing um, in homeopathy it was um, more than the time it was um, that i actually thought that i could give some new dimension to the medicine uh, or to the treatment i i offered my patients it's uh, if homeopathy is about the principle like cures like and i was really thinking this to be true so i was trying to find the individual individual remedy for the patient that was um, um visiting me and it's not it was at that former times not just about the time i spent with my patients but about the finding of the perfect remedy for this um, patient in the thoughts of homeopathic theories. So why why I did ask that is that because I, as I understand uh, your medical training could not do what something else could in the end uh, namely to to make you question your belief in homeopathy. How did that come about? What was it that that, that made you actually question it? 
I I I wanted to 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 write a book. We had in 2012 we had a very um, famous book here in Germany, which is in German Die Homöopathie Lüge, which is translated somehow like the homeopathic lie or lies, homeopathy lies, something like that. And I was interviewed by one of the authors authors of this book. Um, when I still had my homeopathic office and I was curious if she had mentioned me in that book and as it was a very critical book about homeopathy I would never have bought it if um, she had not uh, interviewed me because homeopaths normally um, run away if (laughs) if some um, critical um, announcements are, are made and well I was somehow forced to read this book because I wanted to know, did she mention me anywhere in this book? And I read it and I was really angry at them because I thought, no, you you do not know homeopathy. You you are not homeopath yourself. Um, You're just scientists. Um, You do not know anything. And I wanted to write some kind of answer to this book. I wanted to tell all critics how good homeopathy is, how it works, um, and um, that I see so many patients that benefit from this um, homeopathic remedies. And then I, I started to write this book, but I felt that I had to read all the literature and what Hahnemann did say. I uh, was... Um, I, I felt the need to read all, to read all these um, medical trials myself, and that took me about one year to get all these um, work done. And it was not a, a clear point where I got clear or where I was forced to accept that the fault was not um, in science, but the fault was in Hahnemann. So this was some kind of very painful process of about one year where I really was fighting against the new knowledge I got through my research. And it was somehow step by step that I could accept these um, or that I could integrate these new new findings about homeopathy and the end was that my book is um, much more critical (laughs) than it was intended to be. When you were during this year uh, and you still worked as a homeopathic practitioner Mm -hmm. were you aware or started to get aware about other homeopaths that had the same doubts that you had but perhaps didn't want to abandon their profession because of, you know, you, if you have a financial income from it, it's hard to to leave it. Well, I know a lot of homeopaths and I, I, I would uh, dare to say that all homeopaths do have some doubts because the theories Hahnemann wrote down 200 years before, they are strange. Even homeopaths know that. But <laughs> The belief is stronger than the doubts. And I think it's not just about earning money and um, having the problem to give that up if you don't believe in homeopathy anymore. It's much harder to 
to leave the belief system. Uh, for me, it was it was hard to to lose the money or the the option to earn uh, money with doing my homeopathic work, but it was so hard to to see that I um, believed in something that was wrong, and to admit that I was wrong, um, and to to admit this. Um, even to my patients, <laughs> that was more difficult than just losing the the income. It it sounds very much like um, being a believer, like a true, for example, Christian, and, and all of a sudden realizing deep down inside that God doesn't exist, but yet having to admit it to the world after all these years of believing and to your friends and family. I've, yeah, I, I know a few people who had to do this you know this transition was very very hard it wasn't yeah quite often it was about the money and and the status and whatever but also by just saying i am wrong after all these years was was one of the hardest parts it's quite funny how i didn't i didn't ever think that homeopathy is similar to to belief um in god but it's uh, (laughs) it sounds like it isn't in in many ways it's some kind of an unscientific belief system, but I mm. only can say that from the point where I am now. I did not know yeah. that when I was into it. Yeah, well, just like any believer would. They, they absolutely believe in their heart that it's true, you know, that the God talks to them, etc. So, yeah, <laughs> obviously homeopaths don't have anybody talking to them, but they believe in this uh, writing of this guy 200 years ago who said that that's true. But it's 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 a huge amount of investment on someone someone's mm-hmm. uh, side that that comes with it. I mean, yeah. you study it, you learn a lot about it, you you go go in deep, and you start building up your clientele as well. You start mm-hmm. building up your social networks, and mm-hmm. and this is why it is painful. You have to get rid of a part of your own self. I used to be a UFO believer uh, back when I was a kid, but it's not—it's not the same thing uh, coming out of that as a kid, as a fourteen or fifteen-year-old boy, mm. and uh, um, an actual homeopathic practitioner to to come out and say that, oh, probably this is something that that I was wrong about all along. <laughs> So heads off. <laughs> um, are you still in contact with homeopathic practitioners? Um, did you also have to sort of face some kind of rejection when you came to this conclusion? Well, I had, um, as homeopathy was really a great part of my life and a very important part to me, I had many friends that um, were homeopath too, and I lost all of them. They did not um, want to talk to me when my book was out. Wow. And not not all of them even read the book, but they <laughs> thought that if I um, speak critically about homeopathy, there must be some, something completely wrong with me. And they all um, did not want to have um, contact with me anymore. So wow. that was very hard because I lost a lot of friends. That's pretty tough. How how long have you been in homeopathy? homeopathy? How many years? Um, over 10 years. I, I started to learn um, in 2003 or 2004. Yeah. And I closed my, my office in 2015. 
And after so many years, you probably acquired quite quite a lot of good friends, and yet they failed to see past. Because it doesn't matter if your opinion differ, and I've got some friends who believe in homeopathy, um, but it's funny how they failed to see past that and still stay friends with you despite the differences. And but I yes, guess- I think it was not possible to to look over the differences because I had written that book. If it was just about the personal contact, um, I think uh, we could have found some some way. But the book was um, very popular in in Germany and was was discussed in in many newspapers and there was quite some show about this book and so it was not possible to um to treat it like a private thing yeah i see what you're saying i guess yeah i guess like privately disagreeing you know um whilst having a cup of tea is totally different from coming out and saying look this is complete bullshit you know well i do not say that my book is is written very um friendly empathetic I sorry i shouldn't say bullshit <laughs> i didn't say bullshit at any time so i was i was even more um disappointed because this book is written for homeopath I, I thought oh perhaps they do not know that because i didn't know it either so perhaps i can open their eyes to that um critical points and we all feel near to homeopathy, and um, homeopathy is very dear to us. So we all together, we should find a new way to look on homeopathy. But this this did not happen. <laughs> you said it, it didn't happen, but uh, does that mean that there are no cases you know of that someone changed their minds as a result of uh, coming across your change of mind? I had um, I got a lot of reactions um, to to my book, and of course there are some or few people um, who said to me or who told me or wrote me that um, they understand my critical um, points and they um, try to reconsider homeopathy for themselves, as I did it. But these are only very few people, and no, none of them is a homeopath. It's patients, it's people who uh, used homeopathic remedies but did not think about the backgrounds or did not even know about the um, principles of homeopathy. And, well, I, I reached those people, um, but I did not reach um, the homeopathic scene. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that none of the um, your, your colleagues in homeopathy were converted by the book, uh, because quite often when there is a belief system, like in this case, um, people feel quite defensive if somebody go- comes against it, and they, um, metaphorically speaking, they kind of close their eyes, close their ears, and don't want to hear anything. They don't want to explore. They don't want to read your book. They don't want to investigate. They don't want to spend, like you spend a year looking into all the trials. A lot of homeopaths don't want to do that because they they probably, deep down inside, they probably know what they're going to find and they don't want to face that. So, Yeah, I think it is some kind of reflex. <laughs> so, so obviously uh, homeopathy has its roots in Germany. Mm-hmm. So is it very common that medical doctors use 
homeopathy as well on the side. And is this growing or going away? What's the trend? Um, unfortunately, the trend is that it's growing. We do have about 7,000 homeopathic doctors. But in Germany, we do have the second problem of Heilpraktika, which is, um, um, well, <laughs> this would be perhaps worth another podcast. But uh, the homeopathic doctors, it's uh, increasing, and it's about 7,000 um, doctors who use homeopathic uh, remedies in their offices. And they really try very hard to um, answer this method in the public health uh, system. It's not just about using homeopathy and believing in it, but it's they're all very enthusiastic about their method, me method and I was that when I was a homeopathic doctor too. Um, and uh, it's you always try to convince other colleagues and tell them how good homeopathy is working. Well, that was <laughs> the reason why I was uh, starting to write my book, so I can't um, <laughs> say something bad about this. this but um, the trend in Germany is um, increasing. It's, um, we, do, we also do have a, a great um, lobby homeopathy lobby in Germany. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think the trend is increasing? Do you think it's the genuine, general disappointment with the modern medicine? Uh, I think this is the main reason, because um, people feel uh, or, or do not feel uh, really seen in, in our healthcare system. Um, perhaps they feel like numbers just... Um, yeah, it's um, they do not feel um, helped as um, as mm. human beings, just as a symptom or an illness. And yeah, please the next. And the other reason is that in Germany, uh, homeopathy is often associ yeah associated or with the um, um, with words like natural and mm, yeah. Like, yeah, of course, organic and all the buzzwords uh, that are very, you know, very popular. You don't do any chemistry and mm -hmm. you do, you are good to your body and you don't um, harm your children by using it. Yeah. There are no side effects when you um, give uh, homeopathic <laughs> remedies. And these all just creates an atmosphere about homeopathy that is not true, but people feel um, very much comfortable or um, um, homeopathy creates an atmosphere that is very um, like flowers and everything's fine. So it's, um, it's just the opposite set of cold and scientific and rational medicine. Yeah, we very often talk about uh, on our podcast with the guys and and the people we interview um, about the downside of skeptical movement that it's very rational, it relies on facts, it doesn't appeal to emotion. It's all about looking at what is and what are the facts and and sort of going from there. Whereas all the other alternative medicine and movements, they appeal to emotions they appeal to how people feel inside oh it makes them feel all warm and and fuzzy and good feelings whereas 
scientific facts are not like that. We're looking for alternative to how to appeal to people in the same way that alternative movements appeal to people, but not, you know, not emotionally, but to make them listen. And, and it's very hard balance to strike. Yes, I, I, I know what you are saying, because when we founded our information network homeopathy, we um, came across the same problem. We want to um, reach people who believe in homeopathy, but if we just uh, create a, a website where it is said um, homeopathy is bullshit, it does not work, here are the facts, nobody... Um, we read these um, this um, pages, so we try to create something that is based on facts, but that um, touches the emotions of people or the um, the feelings. And I hope that uh, that this idea um, works. Do you have any kind of statistics as to how successful you are? in reaching the public with the uh, with uh, the information um i'm i'm very happy that um we um were discussed in all the great newspapers we have in in germany and some tv shows or formats also informed about our works or our work or on uh, or about me uh, my my story is um quite um successful because my story is emotional somehow it's um you can feel something when i i tell my my story because it's very personal and i think we have um more influence now than in all the time before where we had so many good scientists and speakers like Edzard Ernst and all those very famous um, people who criticize homeopathy. And I, I hope that I am right when I say that I that we find or that we found a new way to get uh, into the head and the hearts of people. So you've touched about this a little bit before, but what? were the main po points and arguments you made in the book? I said, if homeopathy wants to be a part of medicine, which in Germany is the aim that homeopathy has, it's they do not say, oh, we are an unscientific belief system, um, just uh, <laughs> let us um, uh, work with our patients. No, in Germany, homeopaths claim to be science and they claim to be medicine and I um, started at that point and said okay if you want to be medicine or part of our modern medicine you have to be measured by the principles we we have in medicine so you have to um, explain how you think your remedies to to work and if you can do that, you have to um, tell us how the theory is. And if you can't do that as well, you have to tell us or, or you have to give us um, clinical trials where we can see that there is evidence for the um, effects homeopathy has on um, 
illnesses. And if this fails too, you have to get out of medicine. Hmm. And that is um, how I um, reached the point to see, okay, we cannot explain how homeopathy works. We can see that Hahnemann was not right when he said that the higher diluted the remedies are, the more effective they get. This is just not true. He believed in that and he himself did not have the possibilities to evaluate if his ideas were right or wrong. But today we have. So we have to see that there is no explanation why this um, idea of Hahnemann should be true. And due to the laws of nature, it is not, um, it does not make sense to believe mm, that a substance that is diluted so much that it is not there anymore should have any special effects on our bodies or even our souls or whatever Hahnemann tried to, to say. And the last point is that in the overall view of all clinical trials on homeopathy, and there are a lot of clinical trials we can um, look at, we do not have the evidence that there is more effect than placebo effects. Okay. So, so we, we know, we don't know how it could work. And when we try to measure if it works, it doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't work better than any other placebo therapy. Exactly. Yeah. And it's still not 100% clear to me. Did it occur to you? Did this occur to you at all during your studies? To become a doctor um when i uh, this was um two different ways when i become a doctor i just um learned what i had to learn in university about medicine mm -hmm. about internal medicine about surgery whatever but during all this time i was studying homeopathy as well but i just kept those two kinds of um medicine um, I kept them completely um, separated in my okay. brain or in my whole life. It was to me um, like living in two different worlds. When I was in university, I studied medicine. I learned uh, chemistry, physics, um, yeah. all those <laughs> things you have to know about pharmacolo pharmacology. And on my weeks weekends, I went to those homeopathic um, workshops and I was um, learning my remedies and it's um, Arzneimittelbilder in Germany. It's about how the remedies should um, influence the, the, the patient uh, in all aspects. I learned about Hahnemann and what he believed in and what he wrote. I, I read the Organon, which is his main work. And I did not get into conflict with these um, different ways of thinking because I did not let them touch each other. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Cognitive dissonance is a, is a wonderful thing. <laughs> it is, it is. It is. It, it, it saved me somehow from getting into trouble because cognitive dissonance, um, when it occurs, I always said, well... I see that my patients are feeling better, so yeah. why should I um, get into doubts about how homeopathy 
uh, works. I see that it works. So that is enough for me. And this is what all homeopaths um, do. Whenever some doubt occurs or a critical person says, hey, uh, like you like is, is not uh, scientifically um, proven, um, how do you explain this? Um, you just somehow flip over to some pragmatical um, saying like, well, for me, it's enough if I if my patients feel better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I keep getting back to this uh, university studies thing. Um, and sometime at the beginning of this show, we had an interview with uh, Willem Betts. And we really agreed with him on uh, the necessity of uh, or critical thinking to be included in the education of uh, the, the, the doctors of the future. Because uh, that's what's lacking in, in the curriculum. Because they, they are overwhelmed with all the, the information that they have to learn. And this is how it's separated from the real world. That, that they live, live a double life, so to say. Um, and uh, your example is a great example of the same thing. Of course it is, because um, critical or skeptical thinking or even scientific thinking is not, um, is not implemented in, in university or in, in, in university, of course, but not in the um, studies of, of becoming a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. yeah. I never heard of clinical trials and how they are made and um, about um, bias and other influences on the on the um, data you get out of a trial. I, I had to learn that all by myself um, when I was um, focusing on the critical points of, of homeopathy. You um, go to university to, to become a medical doctor, but if you want to choose a scientific um, way, you choose it after you finished um, university and you, you have to um, go a completely different way than a doctor does, that settles down in, a, in an office. That is too late. You learn that too late. Yes, I agree. This is why this, this could be a very good topic to lobby around and and try to apply some pressure on yeah. decision makers uh, who who have something to do with what curriculums at universities are yeah, yeah and uh, this this could be very useful all over Europe to be to to have a, a lobby force behind this yeah it's a great necessity in 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 all um, European countries I think mm. yeah Indeed. Will you tell us how the book was received by the general public and also by your former colleagues? Um, I mean, we have touched a little bit on your uh, colleagues' reaction. Mm. Well, I have to admit that most of my former colleagues or most of homeopath did not even read my book. But they had a great opinion about <laughs> it nevertheless. <laughs> oh, isn't it always the truth? They knew the that it was complete uh, bullshit before even reading it <laughs> and I was um, well I was quite shocked about this reaction because as I told before I have written this book for my colleagues or for my patients or for everybody that 
who who likes homeopathy and it is written it is written in a very empathetic and warm way it is not um i think it is it is not hard uh, to read it because you even can feel my agony by uh, that i had uh, or that i underwent while um discovering these facts about homeopathy but um well the people i wanted to reach did not um read it but they hate the book nevertheless yeah or they uh, many reactions um were like oh sorry but you were too stupid to um understand homeopathy you were not um successful with your office so you were just disappointed and now you blame it on homeopathy um so it was just um about me not understanding homeopathy as i should have done so of course we're getting very curious about the book so uh, is there any chance that we can read it in english at some point i i'm sorry i i don't think we, it will be published in english um we thought about it and the springer verlag has um has possibilities uh, in all over the world um but we thought um that perhaps this might not help uh because homeopath as we made the experience here in germany do not um read it and skeptics or critical um thinkers or scientists do not have to read it because i do not say anything new i just can um well show the way how i got the point about homeopathy but it's not that i have new facts or new um data or something like that it will not uh be published in english i i i have to admit but um we try to translate parts of our information network um websites into german uh, into english and um we already have a new short version short english version which is already published and where you can get a small um glimpse at our work at in at our points yeah we we should yeah. link to that of course in the show notes mm-hmm. yeah too bad i mean i have read edzard ernst's scientist in wonderland and his pains over over the change of his own belief and how he started to question homeopathy and the forces he came up against when he started to to actually provide information that it doesn't work it's really heartbreaking and that is something that that people should read and i do think that it's neither for homeopaths uh, nor for the uh, for the skeptics it's for the general public who doesn't know much about homeopathy that is the problem because here in germany it's about about 80% of of um patients or of people who really like homeopathy and use it and believe in it and um but do they know about it i mean know enough about it so that that they understand the system 
it's only 70% who really can tell you what is what are the principles of homeopathy, what is meant by like use like or the higher diluted, the more effective, what is about myisms and all those theories Hahnemann invented. Um, it's it's the average does not know what homeopathy is, but still likes it. Mm, yeah. So this is this is why I think that could be something for them. But uh, if uh, yeah, if Springer Verlag doesn't think so, <laughs> then we cannot do much about it. Uh, perhaps if uh, anyone of our listeners know um, publisher outside of Germany who would like to translate the book, um, that could be done. I mean, <laughs> uh, please, please contact us or please contact anyone involved, uh, preferably Natalie. Yeah, so that would be fantastic. And it could open the door for the book to be published in different other languages as well. So let's talk a bit about uh, the Homeopathy Information Network. Mm -hmm. So you started it and as far as I understand, it actually grew out of the book itself and your transition from a homeopath to a non-believer of homeopath. And it was um, founded earlier this year, right? Yeah, it was founded in January this year. And the idea did not come from me, but from Dr. Norbert Aust, who is a very famous uh, critic on homeopathy in Germany. And he has a known blog where he discusses the uh, trials on, on homeopathy. Mm -hmm. And um, we um, thought that it is hard for um, single um, critics or critical persons to um, get an influence on, for example, the, the lobby, the homeopathy lobby we have in Germany, which is very strong. So we um, just um, met in January in Freiburg and uh, got to know each other. And we did not only drink uh, several cups of coffee together, but we um, founded the information um, network. Um, and it was, we, it was a very uh, productive meeting. And we had several ideas, um, like writing these um, websites or an online encyclopedia on the basic uh, principles of homeopathy and um, like um, doing um, many interviews and um, trying to, to get in the, into the public with our ideas and statements. And this turned out to, to work um, pretty good. Nice. Do you have uh, numbers, um, any statistics, uh, as uh, like before and after kind of uh, statistical data uh, regarding the, the widespread, widespread belief in homeopathy or not yet? Not not yet. I, this would uh, I I would like to tell you that it was eighty uh, percent and it went down to twenty percent, but I cannot say that. It's just a hope that we have. Yeah, we need to give it some time. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> what what we um, can say is that we um, see that in Germany, um, great newspapers uh, they um, they write a lot of more critical articles on the whole homeopathic um, theme 
And it's not just that they, you know, those um, those stories, oh, homeopathy, it helped me so good. And I was uh, having these and that symptoms and now I'm completely free. Those um, stories, they are so often told in the media. And we, we see that this gets less. So we have the hope that um, new newspapers understand that it's not good to to um, produce these anecdote anecdotes um, and not to look at the data we have uh, about homeopathy. There is an initiative uh, coming from the Slovakian and Czech skeptics to do yet another homeopathic overdose uh at 10:23 yes i heard about that are you guys going to join in no because the reason is we um we like this initiative it's it's not about not liking it but we want to present ourselves as the information network homeopathy as very um nice we we don't want to provoke or to um uh, tease we just um, want to reach people and tell them, look, I'm sorry, but these are the facts about homeopathy. Okay. Please believe us. We really considered and we really tried hard um, to get the truth out of all those sayings about homeopathy. But we do not want to harm any or, or even... Um, um, you don't want to alienate people by mocking them for... Yeah, we we um we don't want to um irritate people. We just yeah, yeah. to okay. take them um by the hand and lead them to the facts. It's just a different way of um trying to reach people. And we do not want to confuse those um two ways, but of course, uh, some of our members, they um, join this um, event in Hamburg or in um, all those cities in Germany where it is uh, going to take place. The other thing is that uh, the information network homeopathy, do you see a possibility there to go international and uh, try to uh, try to establish some kind of a uh, collaboration with other countries and other skeptical groups, so that it can be it can be done in English and uh, made available to to other nations as well, because there is an ongoing collaboration or it's developing uh, a collaboration uh, among many many different European groups, and uh, that would be fantastic to be elevated to a European level. Of course, we would like to do that very, very much. But the problem we have with this um, really um, important work in information network, network homeopathy is that we just do it. Um, it's ehrenamtlich in Germany. We do not get any money for the work we do. Oh, yeah. We do not have money to, to translate our texts or to, um, uh, well, to, to uh, get great speakers for our ideas. So if somebody is interested and wants to do that work, we really would love to 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 have this um, um, support, but we are not able to pay for it. 
yeah, I think uh, we are all painfully aware of that uh, because we're doing doing the same things on the same basis, which is one of the main points of us actually losing the battle uh, or so many battles because uh, because we have no resources. Whereas on the other side, they they make a living out of it. Yeah. So that's that's that makes it uh, all the more difficult. Because when I was a, was a homeopath, I always thought um, we are the the poor people because um, scientists are so very much against us. But now I see that is um, the other way around because you earn a lot about um, while being a homeopath and you you earn nothing for being a skeptic. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So this, this is why all the... Yeah. Hard work. Ske- skepticism is a poor career choice, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it's, it has to be appreciated. Your work has to be appreciated by your family, um, your friends and everyone because you're actually using the time that you would otherwise spend with them. So it's not easy. Homeopathy Information Network, I think that definitely should be an international thing. Yeah, it should be spread widely. It's not their fault. They do. They simply do not know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you live in, in Germany and you want to help the Homeopathy Information Network, what do you suggest uh, you could do? Um, first of all, um, you can look at our website and um, you can see uh, what we are doing, and especially if you um, can read and understand German, because most of the um, pages are, are in German. We have only one short version of our, um, in English, of our work. And then you can, there are a lot of possibilities to get into contact with us uh, through this um, website. And um, you can ask um, or, or just present yourself and um, tell us where you think we could um, need your help. And we are very happy um, about every person that joins us or that has new ideas or new can- contacts for us because. Um, we are still growing and we want to get more influence um, in politics and all these uh, important um, points. I suggest they should also buy your book and put it on a coffee table at home so that their friends and family <laughs> can see it. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where can people uh, find out more about uh, your activities and activities of the Homeopathy Information Network? Um, the the web address is um, called netzwerk-homeopathie.eu so this is very complicated perhaps you can um, just um, we'll link it yeah link it because it's uh, it spells very difficult because it's the uh, German Ö in it it's um, difficult to spell um, and I think they can also like your network on Facebook yeah mm-hmm. you can do that And I think this is all we had time for today, but it's been lovely to have you on the show. Fascinating story. It is a fascinating story. So it's it's not um, a story one hears every day. Yeah. So Natalie Grams, thank you very much again. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Wow. Germany seems to produce a lot of homeopaths that later on changed their minds. Yeah. 
I mean, it's still anecdotal evidence, but, but I, I'm st- there is a pattern. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that homeopathy is so big in Germany because it actually yeah. comes from, from Germany. But yeah. but I'm, I'm worried that uh, she doesn't seem to feel that it's going away. It, in, it's still very popular and even her feeling is that it's still on the rise. And that, that's worrying. The, the German skeptics and Natalie Grams, they cannot be accused of not doing, doing enough to fight this madness because the homeopathy information network is it's just an amazing brilliant thing to do mm. yeah it should really be contagious mm. among skeptics in europe yeah no no doubt we will follow it in the future of course absolutely and uh yeah we would be happy to 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 help out with uh getting in contact with uh, with them if uh, someone wants to set up something similar in their own country but uh, yeah, I think this kind of wraps up the show. Yeah. And the next week is already the week of QED. Yeah. It's coming up. It's between the 14th and the 16th. I'm afraid by the time this goes out, um, so on Monday, I think um, selling the tickets will be closed. So hope everyone has got a hold of a ticket who, who wanted to go. Mm. Oh, come to QED. And if you're in QED or at QED, please, please come and say hello to us. Absolutely. Do that. We would love to talk to all of you. Definitely. Yeah. And we're going to have to figure out how to how to do the recordings and everything uh, and the release on that on that week. But uh, that's for us to to figure out. OK, so thanks very much for joining me, Yelena and Pontus. Thank you. Pleasure as always. Thank you. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. It's classical skeptics visit Café Scientifique. Qui? Qui? Scientifique. Scientifique? And then I think it's Café Scientifique. Scientifique, okay. Um... How she had to re... (laughs) About how she had to re... (laughs) Team, 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 team,